You're listening to The Great Coaches Podcast. Hi everyone, pardon the interruption, but just a quick message from me to let you know about the leadership survey we have just placed on the website. Here at The Great Coaches, we believe that there is no algorithm for leadership, but we have gone back to the transcripts of the more than 200 great coaches we've interviewed to identify their key leadership traits. We've then created a survey of 20 questions to help you compare your leadership style to theirs. It's free, only takes a few minutes to complete, and should help you find areas of relative strength and weakness. If you'd like to know more, check out our website, thegreatcoachespodcast.com. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard. But now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast. To me, being perfect is not about that scoreboard out there. This is a chance of lifetime. When you can understand the person, you can then work towards a common goal. We are all on the same team. Now you roll and do it to the best of your ability. Focus on the fundamentals. We've gone over time and time again. Your defense has got to be better. Leave no doubt tonight. Great moments are born from great opportunity. My name is Paul Barnett, and you are listening to The Great Coaches Podcast, where we explore leadership through the lens of high-performance sport by interviewing great coaches from around the world to try and find ideas to help all of us lead our teams better. Our great coach on this episode is basketball coach and former All-American point guard, Pokey Chapman. Pokey started her coaching career as a student assistant in 1991, while finishing her degree at Louisiana State University. She then became an assistant coach before becoming the team's head coach in 2004. As a head coach, she had immediate impact, leading the team to three consecutive NCAA Final Fours. In 2007, she moved to Russia to coach Spartek Moscow, and in 2010, led them to the EuroLeague title. At the end of 2010, she moved back to the USA to coach the Chicago Sky in the WNBA, taking the team into the playoffs for the first time in their history. She then went on to coach the Indiana Fever and has also coached the Slovakian national team and been an assistant for USA teams. She has also won numerous Coach of the Year awards, including the Black Coaches Association Coach of the Year in 2004 and 2005. Pokey is a coach who epitomizes resilience. Her story is marked by second chances and the hard work needed to rise above the challenges you face. She is humble and yet determined and believes that you should never let your ego get in the way of what the moment needs. The key parts of this interview that I reflected on afterwards were her view that great coaches are authentic leaders who are able to create, cultivate, maintain and manage relationships in an emotionally intelligent way. Her advice on improving your team tomorrow by ensuring that everyone in the organization has a personal development plan and that staff commit 20 minutes every day to helping individuals with their plan. And the power of asking questions of both yourself 
and the player in a bid to improve. I love this conversation with Pokey. It left me feeling grateful and mindful of my own humility. And I hope you enjoyed as much as Jim and I did. The Great Coaches Podcast. Pokey Chapman, good afternoon. Or rather, I guess it's good morning for you. And welcome to the Great Coaches Podcast. Good afternoon to you as well. And, and, and truly my pleasure to be here. I'm looking forward to this. We are looking forward. I've got to admit, I'm looking forward to listening to your fantastic accent. Could you, <laughs> Pokey, could you tell us where you are in the world? Maybe also where you come from and what you've been up to today. Well, currently I'm sitting in New Orleans, Louisiana. I'm literally two blocks from the French Quarter. And you mentioned accent, and I don't necessarily think of myself as having an accent because I'm listening to your beautiful accent. But yes, I guess I have a little bit of Cajun, Creole, African-American, a little bit of everything thrown in there. But uh, that's why I'm currently here. And I'm I'm from a little town of less than 3,000 people that's right on the banks of the Mississippi River. So small town girl living in the city. And thankfully, because of basketball, got to travel the world, which was unimaginable when I was a kid. And here we are today. Well, we're going to get into that journey you've had all over the world because I'm, I'm very excited to talk to you about it. It's, of course, we're going to get to Russia. We might talk a little bit about Australia as well on the journey too. So, But Pokey, maybe I'll just start with a question about the great coaches you've had exposure to because in preparing for today, there's two names that jump out. One is Sue Gunter and, of course, Natalie Heikova, who we've also had on the podcast, an amazing, amazing coach. You've also had exposure to some people that are on their way to becoming great coaches. There's Becky Hammond in there as well. So just an easy question to get going. From this perspective, what is it you think that the great coaches do differently? You know, the easy and obvious staple of those people has been their ability to create, cultivate, maintain, and manage relationships. And it's organic. It's not from a textbook. They could write the textbook. And I think it's one of those things that resonates because it's real and people feel that. And let me preface that by saying, yes, their expertise and their craft uh, gets them to the level of that. But for me, it was being able to be coached by Sue Gunter, who was Olympic coach in 80, the year we boycotted. You know, Nata is considered the Pat Summit of Europe. And I always tell people she coached the pros. I get you're making the correlation woman and domination, but this is the pros in the world, not college in one country. And I just want to give her her, her props. And, and Becky, it's amazing. I watched Becky's career, but Russia, thousands of miles away, brought us together. And then watching her evolution in the sport, I promise you, I'm not that much older than her, but I feel like a proud mother. So I think it's their ability to manage relationships, but they also know how to read the room. And you know, today we always talk about emotional intelligence. I was immersed with that with people. So I had a head start in managing and leading because of those great people. Pokey, you've spoken a lot about the fact that when your parents divorced, a village stepped in to help raise you up. And I wondered just if you could talk a little bit about how that early experience of those people coming together to support you has influenced you and shaped you as a leader. Well, I think it highlights the fact that it's a team effort. It highlights the fact that despite the hierarchy of things, that certain people are stars in their role. My sister's role changed from being big sister to almost second mother because my mom worked three jobs. Or the cousin that was the basketball star at the time, he became my coach in waiting. So I think 
that was the biggest thing. But also, I think the part of that was watching my mom delegate really important tasks to other people. So then it was that piece. So when I really think about it and I I speak to people, I'm like, man, you have this team concept at home. There's a head coach, there's an associate coach, there's assistants, and it's everyone. And I didn't really figure that out until several years ago when you take a step back and think about it. But I think that was true to my early development. Well, your early development was also under Sue Gunter. 14 years as an assistant before you took over from her when she was unfortunately getting becoming ill. But when you took over, the team go on this amazing run, three consecutive Final Fours in the NCAA. And I wanted to ask you, because you took over from a legend, and so I wanted to ask you, what was it like taking over from someone who had such a big impact on that team? So how did you respect the past, but also orientate the team and move them forward? I think the awful manner in which I had to step in was her illness. That's not the norm. And sometimes if you step in for someone, they're coming back. And obviously she didn't. But I think that tragic situation in the middle of a season instantaneously brings people together. And so you have that momentum. But I think the bigger picture is when you work for Sue Gunner, you're so involved with every aspect of the existence of the program. Players watch that. They see that. That was her leadership style. And so it wasn't this huge shift. And I think what people forget is that Yes, she was my coach. Yes, she was my mentor, but she became a really, really good friend. It was the trifecta of everything. And so it was so easy to do that. And I think in terms of putting my stamp on it was when the game evolved, that became my stamp in different areas, like literally trends in the game. But the part about honoring the past was just easy because I am Sue. Some people who watch me play, they call me little Sue. They say, you squat like her. You make, you have these mannerisms like her. So I guess a little bit of her, it still lives on in me. You had some issues happened. Mm-hmm. You decide to move on. I don't want to go through that because your story is much more interesting from 2007 onwards. You head up to Russia. Yes. You learn the language. And I've been to Russia and I had difficult that is. And you did that so you could not only communicate with the team but immerse yourself in the, in the local culture. And when you talk about it, you describe it as it was a joy. It was a complete joy, especially after all the issues that had preceded it. But it's so interesting that this was a second chance for you from a career perspective and it took you off in this amazing direction. So how has that shaped your perception or your reality in dealing with second chances when it comes to athletes? And I guess people in general. When you think about second chances, it really becomes an endorsement, right? And I think specifically as it related to Russia, here I am thinking my life is over from a nanosecond and then reality sets in, the world is bigger. And this was so unexpected, but it was also so closely tied to my expertise. And don't misunderstand that. Of course, there's going to be questions asked, but at the end of the day, it was about expertise and a craft. And it was a, a trigger for me in terms of value and appreciation of everything. And I just never imagined Russia. And, and here's a part that doesn't get talked about enough. So I go to Russia and the first question I'm asked is, do you mind coming over early two weeks to personally train Lauren Jackson? I said, what? I'm being punked right now. Where's the camera? This is not real life. And that was how one of the most devastating professional things became amazing. And you mentioned that the language, and that's just part of exploring and want to learn and 
probably learning that language and not learning it, being able to speak it, communicate. And I didn't know it was a sign to them how much I wanted to be there. And it served me so well over the six years there. So Pokey, you've coached all over the world, Slovakia, Russia, America. And there's numerous times in researching you where I see your game style referred to as pace with poise, but also efficiency, which is a you know, neat way of describing a game style. But there was nothing really that I could find about your values as a coach. And so I wanted to ask you, are there some immovable values that have traveled with you as you've coached in all these different locations? And if so, could you share them with us? Yes, I can. And, and I will say this, as you move up the ladder, when you're coaching 10-year-olds, you're talking about commitment and passion and discipline and, and all those things, and you're teaching them. But as you move up the ladder from college to pros, it gets a, a little bit more refined. And I think in terms of, and, and this is what people always laugh at, I said, it really is about the people. It really is about a growth mindset. It really is about trusting the process. And I was fortunate enough that Nick Saban was at LSU when I was there and he's a a trust the process guy. And it's about, of course, we want to win championships, but it was more about the next play, the next moment, and always about those people that this focused excellence. And I think when we would narrow and shrink to think, it really resonated with organization players to where we're able to accomplish great things. So I'm not going to let you off the hook that easily, Pokey. Okay. If I was to ask you what those values are, would you be able to sort of articulate them? Many people talk about joy or they talk about hard work. Yeah, yes, I can't. I, yeah, yeah, I'll tell you this. Have fun. We know the ones that are going to make us uncomfortable, right? The time, the commitment, the best way to improve the individual is to improve the team. We, we know all those things, but it's the joy that comes with it. It's that focus excellence on it because it doesn't always have to take 18 hours of your day. It can literally take 10. And that comes with that single-minded approach to things, that focus excellence, that trusting of the process of things. And I think the growth mindset, to me, it's really about the inner scoreboard. What did you do to win today? Not the scoreboard that we're going to be judged by. And I understand that part of it. But as I've been involved with teams, I also understand what makes that entire unit click. So those are some of the things that I've taken with me everywhere. Well, you have this great run in Russia talking about teams having great success and you win the EuroLeague Championship in 2010 where's the head coach by this point this leads you to return to the USA where you're coaching Chicago Sky and straight away you lead them to the playoffs for the first time in the club's history and they stay there for four years straight so this is now lightning striking twice in your career so if you go back to that Chicago Sky period in 2010 I wanted to ask, was there anything in particular or different that you did when you started with that team that led to that result? I think a management leadership standpoint, and you have to understand this is my first time being the general manager of a professional team. And I think what aided me initially was I engaged the entire organization top to bottom to find out from those people who were experts in their craft and their roles. And it was more about me learning their area and them. And I thought that was normal, right? That's what we're supposed to do. Hell, I don't know about marketing in Chicago when there's 10 other professional teams. I don't know about all these things. And that proved to be so huge because it had never been done before. You know, it was all these different factions. And I just believe in the total team concept of everything from sports to family to life in business. And I think that initial thing, because then people wanted to help more, they felt a part of it. And obviously I have to evaluate 
the team, but those individual players the same way. Because what's really hard when you're stepping in is you don't want noise from a media clip or an article to define these players that you're coming into this organization with. I wanted them to have a clean slate that just wasn't stats because there's always something behind that. And I think that was just my approach with everything. And and look, I, I didn't get it all right. I just wanted to give myself the best opportunity to make the best decision. I think it helped. I think it worked out pretty well too. (laughs) You talk a lot about being a good listener, to create a space for people to be whoever they are and whoever they want to be around you. And you also talk about being a consistent presence in people's lives. These are themes that come through time and time again when I see interviews with you. But if there was one behavior you wish you were better at as a leader, what would it be? Wow. How much time do you have? (laughs) As much as you want, Pokey. It's kind of hard to really just say one. I think the one that I would always keep at the top, because I think it's the one that needs to consistently grow and tweak and get better, is always work at being the most efficient and effective communicator with all aspects of your existence. That's from the sports performance uh, staff to the people who are leading the fan, is that tool of communicating with them more in every sense of the word. Yes, you have to talk. Yes, you listen. But it's your body language. It's the number of times. And I mean, it's the constant evolution of that that I want to stay on top of because it's always changing. you got a process that works everywhere. And I really want to stay on top of that because that in and of itself will be a conduit to me having meaningful, impactful relationships in every everything that we do and I I think that's the one that I want to get an A plus in and I'm not saying that I'm bad but I think if my mindset is I can always get better with that then I will hi everyone I'm here with Professor Eric Knight the executive dean of the Macquarie Business School and he's just stepped out of the classroom Eric How does the business school give you the tools you need to be a better leader? I think the tools of great leaders today need to include at least two things. One is analytics so that you can understand the world around you. And two is people skills so you can communicate that to those inside your team. Motivate them towards the solutions that will define the future. Thanks, Eric. The master's programs at the Macquarie Business School, designed to empower you, challenge you and transform the way you think. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. So in 2016, you move on and you're appointed head coach of the Indiana Fever. Mm-hmm. And when Kelly Krausoff appoints you, she says, and this is a quote, the things that I've noticed about her teams and her players are they always get better. Pretty astute observation, I would say. (laughs) But it's the team's element of this statement that caught my eye, not necessarily the result. So I wanted to ask you, what would be the top one or two things you would recommend to anyone out there who wants to try and improve their team's performance starting tomorrow? 
Listen, it's not rocket science. There's one, there's a commitment to the individual development of every person slash player slash staff in your organization. And what happens, we have these pockets of commitment to player development. We have these pockets of commitment to sending a staff off to a seminar to get better. That needs to be second nature and in your DNA. That needs to be a formula for getting better because we abandon them, then we come back to them when we need them. And I think specifically about a basketball team, it's so simple. We committed just 20 minutes every day to the individual, truly individual development of each player. And what that means is some player might need video. Some players might need conversation. Some players might need reps. And I think if you take the time and energy to figure out exactly what those people need and then extend that to everyone in the organization, you can't help but improve. <laughs> you give yourself the best chance. So I think it's that commitment to that development of not just the people on the court, but the people around them, I think is just a recipe for something really, really good. Okay, that sounds exhausting. How do you maintain your energy with that kind of intimacy and that kind of connection between you and the whole organization. Think about the time, energy, and effort you put into your kids, right? And it doesn't even have to be sports. It just to be about their sense of understanding or learning something in school. And that feeling that you get when they get it, oh, my Dona Mia, it's amazing. Like if I could bottle it up and sell it, I'm retired, right? And it, it's the truth. And coaches may not ever admit that because they want to be tough and all, and we all do, but it feels so good because that is everlasting that's going to get you through the tough. It doesn't feel exhausting because it's this unspoken moment where when that player gets it in the game and they glance over at you on the bench and then you know that's going to catapult you to something different. So it doesn't exhaust me. It's exuberant to me. So I, I don't know. I just, I just love that piece of it. Sounds like you've found a nice balance between high care and high challenge. And that's something that is very difficult for all of us to find. Somebody asked you, Pokey, what's the advice? How do you do it? How do you balance challenge and care? What would you say to them? Wow. How do you balance that? I think I'm fortunate enough to have had three decades in this to either go through ways that were average, ways that weren't good. I think I have a, you know, some experience to, to figure it out. And what I figured out is that you can't treat every situation the same. I think sometimes I go from college to Europe to the pros. And when I tell you the sport is the only thing that's the same <laughs> and to be open to that and don't look at it as don't let your ego get in the way of morphing to what the moment needs. Like sometimes our ego will get in the way. I don't have this problem. <laughs> I, maybe I did at an earlier age, but I try to meet people at their point of need, which is also helping me just having the, the strength and courage to do that. I think says a lot about what's going to take place next. I think the idea of meeting people at their need or where they are is tremendously powerful. And it's something that many, not many, actually, that's not true, but some of the other coaches we've had on the show have talked about. Interestingly, they've all been women. <laughs> I was listening to you talk recently about race issues, and you were saying that you were challenged by a friend with the idea that, quote, we don't need white friends, we need some white allies. But you responded by saying that while that's true, we also need all people to keep their eyes open and ears open. So I wanted to expand this a little to the topic of bias. And I wanted to ask if you could share an example of how you've dealt with bias within a team. 
Yeah, this is a tough one because it still goes on today. And I won't use names, but if anyone listens to this, they'll understand. Yeah, a prominent player in an organization, seven years, all-star Olympics, Black player. And yes, she was appreciated, I think. Then comes along a white player that hadn't played a game. And it's just lifted up to billboards, all the wonderful things. And let me say this. I don't think that was a problem. I don't think it's a negative thing on either player. I don't think those things permeate so much in the locker room because unfortunately we see, feel, and hear a lot of that just in terms of how certain people are described. You know, a black player is athletic. This one has a high IQ, white player has a high IQ. Whatever, we can have a, a damn seminar semester on that, right? And I honestly don't think it's intentional, but that's not the point right? Sometimes it's unintentional microaggressions in that sense. However, so much of it, when we become this social place, when it gets down to other people seeing and feeling how there's a different value system, when it gets down to people earning money and endorsements, it's a little bit more prevalent and it's hard to deal with. And I, you know, I've been involved in a situation where that's been a part of certain players not wanting to be in an organization. And I'll say this, and this is not to knock an organization. Sometimes you're doing what you deem necessary to cater to a subset of people. Look, that's a microcosm of the world that we're living in, right? And I will say this, the one thing I would say about sports is that we never felt that at a young age. We weren't thinking about black and white, right? We would go to someone's house, we're 10 years old. So we were insulated from it for so long that when we first feel it, we are like, holy crap, what is this? And so we're going through that process because we're like, we got this sacred spot. We don't care. You know, I'm in Russia. I have Serbian, Montenegrin, Russian, Croatian. doesn't matter. We bomb Serbia, but I'm the coach, right? So those things don't get into our circle. And I think now with the internet and TV and exposure, so many of those things are rearing its ugly head. And I'm glad for it because it needs to be addressed. So your approach is to bring it out and talk about it openly, or do you wait for it to show its head? I think, uh, honestly, some of it showed its head on my clock. It was new. I couldn't predict the TV networks covering more women's games and what that would bring to certain sponsors and who they would want. But I was privy to it because I was a GM. And so you're sitting in those circles. And so it's difficult to confront it before it even happens. I'll be honest with you. I'm not even thinking along those lines initially. But I will tell you this. Once it happens, I don't duck. (laughs) We're not going to duck. We're going to deal. And dealing is, if it makes you feel some type of way, say it. But there's a respectful way to say it. Because what I always hate, you know, Paul, is sometimes the the anger goes to the wrong people. And I'm going to say this. I'll be very specific. Sabrina Inescu, amazing player. And I think sometimes because I think the media and people do her a disservice because they can't really appreciate the really good qualities that she brings to the game because they want to elevate her so fast. And when she does really well, it's being, I don't know, it's pinpointed, it's being negative. And all the kid wants to do is play ball, right? So I think she's caught up in that being the face of things from ESPN, putting her on TV. There's an issue with the WNBA, lifting her up early on and not other players, even within her team. But the good part for me was that, hey, that's a conversation to be had. But don't target the kid. She's just playing ball. She didn't ask for it. She's trying to be the best that she can be. And that's when it kind of, you know, makes me go, okay, people, let's direct this where it needs to be. Let's have an intelligent conversation. Let's move the needle forward. Okay, you've been fired on multiple occasions in your career. And I know this is part of being in professional sport, but when it happens, it must impact your confidence. So 
based on your experience, what advice do you have for other leaders who may be dealing with some kind of self-doubt? In specific to that, I think the one that the time that made me go, wait a minute, let me reevaluate was honestly Chicago. It was one of those things where, okay, I've been here six years, but we didn't win a championship. What can I do? So you ask those questions in that moment. And I'm okay with that. So I tell people, you want your players to get better. You want them to ask questions. You want your kids to get better. So you ask the questions, what can I do better? And, and you have to mean it, right, to, to take away from that. And so you take that away from it. But also it gets back to you have to do a self-scout on yourself in terms of your expertise in the game. Where can I get? I mean, an authentic, real, true, deep dive into that. And then once you do that and you measure it against what feedback you got, I think that makes you, uh, it makes it easier to deal with. Whether it's beneficial or not, just the exercise of that is going to make you feel like, okay, this is what I can do. And you're always going to find something, right, that you can do better. I mean, hell, sometimes you might make it up just so you know you're working on it. But then there's sometimes where you're going to be, I can put my head on my pillow at night. I did what you asked me to do to the best of my ability, involved everyone. And it's not about being callous or pushing to the side. It's about being at peace, but still finding a man in a group. And I'll be specific. When I was let go and fired, I, I like saying, it's okay saying fired. People say, oh, when you left, I was like, no, I was fired. It's okay. Two things in both places happened. When I was let go, fired in Chicago, I remember I knew about it. And two weeks later, I was going to speak at a clinic at Dawn Staley uh, in South Carolina. And my sister said, you know, they just posted that you were let go in Chicago and you're out there like you're okay. And I said, excuse me? And I said, but I am. <laughs> I am okay. I said, it's amazing in the men's game, in the pros, when someone gets fired, it's a feather in their cap. Now, I'm, I'm not saying all that, but my point is that's perspective that you move on, you take what you can from it, and you continue to grow. I went to that clinic to go speak with Cheryl Reeve, one of the best in the game, Jeannie Busick, who's in Dallas. And Don Staley, I'm like, come on, I'm good. The same thing in, in Indiana, I asked a question and I couldn't get anything back. And I, I said, well, what can I do better? Now, I want to get better. And there was nothing, not one single thing. Now, whether they were uncomfortable saying it or didn't have anything and really want to just move in a different direction, I was okay with that too. So ask the question, let it hit, let it resonate, heal, and continue to grow. Okay, if I could take you back all the way to that six-year-old who was doing right. odd jobs to help the family <laughs> after her parents divorced. If I could take you back and mm -hmm. introduce you to her, what would you mm -hmm. say to her? <laughs> naps really are amazing. Take more naps. <laughs> Listen, I'm being real, right? Europe taught me how to make relax. A nap is sacred. As a kid, I never wanted to do that. I also would talk a little and would tell her that your faith is going to be the foundation that's going to lead you to a prosperous future. And don't misunderstand me. I was raised Catholic. I went to catechism, religion, you know, was confirmed. But it, I was going through the motions, right, which stalled my growth in my faith. But baby, let me tell you, I'm good with it now. So I would tell myself, pay closer attention, keep asking those questions. And really, the family dynamic truly is everything. And that family's not just blood. You can make a family in every pocket of the world. If you have those values that your mother and father and family taught you at home that you kind of rebuked back then. And the, the last thing is, is about being outdoors. Nature truly is nurturing. And I used to love to be outside from an early age. And I just love the sun on my face. 
and now I understand how refreshing that is to me and it's a big part of my life well those are a few of the things but yeah take those naps those are amazing okay I saw this wonderful social media post from you recently where you said we don't tear down other black ladies we have felt the pain of being torn down we are deliberate about building others mm-hmm. so I wanted to finish by asking what is the legacy that you hope you're going to leave as a coach might not be anything good for a book or a title or I think I hope my legacy is wrapped up in the people that I was able to come in contact with and coach, work with and lead. I think basketball was just to conduit to something bigger and impactful. And thankfully, I've had success along the way that uh, gave me opportunities to be with USA Basketball, Russia, Slovakia, Indiana, Chicago. But I cannot tell you I don't remember the score of the championship game in Russia. I don't remember the score of going to the finals in the WNBA, but I remember when Tamara Young called me to tell me she was buying a house (laughs) because this is the players who would buy these shoes all the time. And I would always tell them, look, you guys need to buy dirt, stop buying shoes and Louis Vuitton bags. And it's that part. Or when a player that you coach has a destination wedding and they're only inviting 30 people and you're on the list, right? Or when they ask you to be the godmother of their kid, that's the legacy I want to leave. And that seems so small, but those people are going to impact other people. And that's, I want people to say she was fair. Now, yeah, she got on my ass, but that's because she cared and I'm better for it. And that's enough for me. Pokey, we've only met today, Mm -hmm. but I feel like I'd like to challenge you on that answer if I could. Okay. I think... The reason you get invited to weddings and the reason people keep you in their life is because you are a wonderful example of resilience and pushing on and making the most of other opportunities that come along, whether it's your childhood, which I know wasn't easy, whether it's the whole issue that followed you when you you left uh, LSU, your career and your life has been about perseverance and carrying on. And if people could see you now, you're doing it with a smile on your face. So I think... (laughs) There is something in there about resilience and you being a wonderful example of that. And I think it's a trait we're all trying to develop. We all want to be better of it. If you ask me the one thing I want my daughters to develop, I would literally say resilience because if you can keep going, that's more than half of it. I agree. I I think you've got resilience and I think that's what people see in you. I really, really appreciate that. And and, and it means a lot. And it also, I also know there were some people that were responsible for taking a deep dive into me at every juncture, the good, the bad. When I say how difficult it was to get fired from Chicago, it it was for a moment, but he was the gentleman, Harvard graduate, lawyer, real estate person that said, I'm going to look into your files at LSU and not ESPN articles and hired me. So I got over being fired a little quicker, <laughs> but that resonates with me to this day. So Russia was the my experience. And then Chicago was him taking a deep dive and examining things. And I don't forget that. And I remember it as I move on. So I appreciate it. And, you know, the resilience part, I'll try to keep it going, but it doesn't feel hard at all. Pokey, it's been wonderful to spend an hour or so with you today. Thank you so much for your time. And I look forward to having a glass of red wine with you straight after the show. Please, let's do that. And I'm looking forward to how those Romanian wines are going to taste. Hi, everyone. It's Paul here. And you have been listening to our discussion with Pokey Chapman. 
Some of the key highlights for me were Pokey's view on the importance of playing your role within a team and the story from her childhood that she shares to illustrate this. The impact that unintentional microaggressions can have and wanting to leave a legacy where she has influenced people in a positive way so that they too can have a positive impact on others. I hope you enjoyed it as much as Jim and I did. And just before we go, coaches are not usually the type of people who seek the spotlight. And so if you can put us in contact with a great coach that you know has lessons to share on leadership and life, then we would love to hear from you. You can contact us using the details in the show notes. Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com.